Welcome to Linda's Corner, a podcast created to inspire hope, increase joy, and motivate positive change. Hi, my name is Linda Bjork. I'm an author, teacher, speaker, blogger, and founder and executive director of Hope for Healing, which is a nonprofit charity designed to help alleviate symptoms of depression and anxiety, relieve stress, build confidence and self esteem, and heal relationships. You can learn more by visiting our website at hopeforhealingfoundation.org. For today's episode, I'm going to share a segment from one of my books called Crushed. If you're joining us for the first time, I would suggest that you start at the first podcast, since stories tend to make more sense when you read them, or listen to them, in order from the beginning to the end. Chapter 34 Goodbye, Lucy The wrestling match taking place inside my mind was exhausting. I had never put it into words, but I realized that I assumed that my journey to healing would be to learn how to forgive and to let go of my anger so that I could be at peace with being walked on and passed over my entire life. I never figured that healing would include learning how to take and receive. This was far more scary than the happy doormat scenario that I had unwittingly imagined. This uncomfortable idea of give and take reminded me of a Mark Gungor video that I saw. Mark Gungor is a sought-after international speaker on marriage and family. His comedic approach makes his YouTube videos delightful to watch. I especially enjoyed his hilarious video where he explains the difference between men's brains and women's brains. I remembered in one of his videos that he talked about the natural tendency for women to give and the natural tendency of men to take. The result can be great for the men, but not so great for the women as they wear themselves out. I remembered how he talked about the need for women to learn how to take and how difficult that is for many women to do that. When I watched the program, I didn't think that applied to me. But now that I saw things in a new light, I guess that advice applies to me after all. I had sometimes felt resentful about the unfairness of a mostly unidirectional flow of service. Now I was being told that it was my fault, or at least partly my fault. I was tired of everything being my fault. I felt relieved when it was finally time to go to bed and put an end to this distressful day. One morning came and it was time for my morning routine of declarations, shield, and song. I dragged myself to the mirror and forced myself to get through them, but they were uttered in a bland, emotionless monotone. I realized that for a while now, I had been doing them for my imaginary friend and alter ego, Lucy. She was the one who could be loved and valued and important. She was the one I had been writing about. I was beginning to believe the declarations, my words have value and I have the courage to speak my truth, but I was really talking about Lucy's words, not mine. She could be healed and she could make a difference for good. Did I really have to let her go? My confidence drained to the floor. 
I decided to submit my question to the Scripture Instant Messaging Experiment. I opened the Scripture app and used the bookmark tool to find the place where I'd finished reading the day before. In the notebook tool, I wrote, Do you really expect me to expose myself by giving up my pen name and using my own name? I began to read, hoping that there wouldn't be anything that applied to me and I could dismiss the terrible thought. I didn't know that there were verses of Scripture that talk specifically about the importance of names. But apparently, there are. As I reread the notes that I had written after completing the chapter, I felt a weight of responsibility which pressed unwelcome tears from my eyes. I went to the computer and searched for all the places where I had written the name Lucy and replaced them with my own name. I spent the day in mourning for the demise of my beloved shield and the death of my cherished anonymity. With a heavy heart, I put on my game face for the day and realized that I still needed to talk to Lewis about the possibility of spending time alone for part of our vacation. Fortunately, the condo was only about an hour's drive from our house, so we could be flexible and people could come and go as needed. Last year, we were really lucky with our week at the condo, I began. We were able to get everybody together and make a lot of great memories. This year, it's going to be really different since some of the kids can only come part of the time and others won't be able to come at all. Can we break it up into sections? Part of the time can be all of us that are able to come. Part of it can be just the two of us. And can I have a couple days just by myself to rejuvenate? You want to go by yourself? he cried, taken aback. Uh, okay. Do you want the whole week alone? No, I replied. I don't think I need a whole week, but I would like a couple days. Are you okay with that? All right, he said. Let's figure out the schedule of when everyone is available and make a plan. I would get two days by myself at the condo. One day would be dedicated to doing my horrible homework assignment from Suzanne, and the second day would be to recover so that I would be ready to play with my family when they returned. I'm not looking forward to this, but I hoped it would be a good thing. The first two days of vacation were spent playing together as a family, and I didn't even need to pretend to be happy since I was genuinely having a good time. One of the activities was going to Ninja Gym, which is what my son calls the open gym time at a certain gymnastics school. He wanted the whole family to come and support him as he tried out his tricks of flips, back handsprings, and parkour on the cushioned floor of the gym. We made sure to take lots of pictures and give lots of praise. Afterwards, my son repeatedly thanked us for going there with him. That means a lot to me, he said. It's no fun to work on tricks with no one to watch. As I thought about how much it meant to him, I felt the assurance of how important it is to do things that other people want, even if you don't want to do them. That's part of being a family and supporting each other. So how did that fit in with the idea that I was not a sidekick that had to do everything that everybody else wants? I would always have to do things that I wasn't interested in to support other people. If I only did what I wanted to do, 
I would be a selfish jerk. There must have been a balance somewhere, but I didn't know what that was yet. Chapter 35 The Assignment The time came for my family to leave me behind as they headed back home. It felt a bit strange. After they left, I stayed up late. I didn't want to go to bed because that meant that when I woke up, it would be time to write my letter to God, and I knew it would be awful and include dreaded tears. In the morning, I completed my morning routine. I added a new song to my list. It's called Fight Song by Rachel Platten. And although not all the words fit, there is a line that reminds me of how it feels to do a complete conversation. All those things I didn't say, wrecking balls inside my brain. I will scream them loud tonight. Can you hear my voice this time? This is my fight song. Take back my life song. Prove I'm all right song. My power's turned on. Starting right now, I'll be strong. I'll play my fight song. And I don't really care if nobody else believes, because I've still got a lot of fight left in me. After trying to build myself up with declarations, songs, shields, scriptures, and prayer, I added one more thing. I decided to fast today. There's a scripture in Isaiah 58, verses 5 through 11, that explains the benefits of fasting. It talks about how fasting is intended to lighten heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free. It also promises that when we fast, the Lord hears our cries and answers. It continues with additional beautiful promises of light, healing, and guidance. It embodies all that I hope to receive. I went for a long walk in the cool of the morning and enjoyed the beauties of the natural surroundings while trying to decide where I should go to write my letter. The lake would be crowded with people, so the obvious choice was to find a quiet place in the mountains. I searched until I found a secluded campsite with a picnic table where I could sit and write. A small stream with a cascading waterfall flowed nearby, and lush vegetation surrounded me. I wrote out the three questions and filled several pages with my answers. As I wrote, it brought a few memories to mind, and I paused to have complete conversations with several individuals. Finally, I decided it was time to begin the actual letter to God. I wrote and wrote until I couldn't think of anything else to say. Then I turned to a new page and wrote, Dear Linda, and waited for thoughts to come into my mind so I could write them down. My mind was a complete blank. After several moments of still silence, I broke down and began to sob. God has nothing to say to me. I am a fool for ever thinking that he might. I tried a new approach and wondered if I could re-enter the previous visualization at Suzanne's house where Christ came to offer to take my burdens. Perhaps if he helped me, then Heavenly Father would be willing to address me. My current actual surroundings were similar to the ones I had imagined, and I thought that might help. But try as I might, I could not visualize Christ entering the clearing. He simply refused to come. The entire experiment was an epic failure. My efforts did not result in healing or enlightenment, only puffy red eyes and a headache. 
I gathered my notebook and pens from the picnic table and headed dejectedly back to the car for the drive back to the condo. I'm tired. I think I'll take a nap. Three separate times I picked up the pen and tried to continue the letter, but each time my mind was a complete blank. I shouldn't have bothered asking for time up here alone. It didn't do any good. I consoled myself by watching the epic BBC version of Pride and Prejudice with Colin Firth and Jennifer L. So at least something good happened that day. The next morning, I awoke in a deep melancholy. It was the first time in a couple months that I wished to cease existing. I was back to square one. I fasted a second day and tried a new venue. I drove over the mountain to Ogden City to be near the beautiful LDS temple there. I stayed for hours hoping for a spark of enlightenment, but nothing came. Once again, I would be returning to the condo as a failure. Anger swelled within my soul until it burst. I had my second yelling, swearing, complete conversation. It was with God. After yelling and sobbing and then asking for forgiveness, I sat down once again with my notebook and pen. I wrote another letter to God with a new insight from all the additional frustrations. Then I turned the page and wrote, Dear Linda. This time, ideas began to flow. I have to say it was rather anticlimactic. After all that effort, I think I was expecting a vision or something. I don't necessarily believe the message yet, but these are the words that I read in my own handwriting. You are a beloved daughter of God. I love you more than you are capable of understanding. I love my daughters. They bring glory to me and to all creation. Don't worry. It will all turn out okay. In the end, you will be satisfied. It will be better than you ever imagined. Remember what Bernard taught you about women. Hang on a little longer. It's going to be okay. Let go of your anger and choose to be happy. Trust me. Believe in me. It will all be fair in the end. Don't worry anymore. Just be concerned about doing good and being good. Don't fight against what you know to be true just because there are things that you don't understand. My friend Bernard was brought to my remembrance. He had a glimpse of heaven when he died for a brief period of time and was revived. He sees life from a different perspective than most people. He doesn't share his experiences with many people because they are sacred to him. But my daughters and I have had the privilege of hearing a few stories, and they are always so uplifting. He said that heaven was indescribably beautiful, and there are vibrant colors that don't even exist here. He also said that of all the beautiful creations, the most glorious were the women. He couldn't even describe them. I like that part. Chapter 36 Opening My Heart I had made peace with God. Now it was time to make peace with my husband. It was our turn to spend some time alone together at the condo. 
We went to dinner and went swimming and had a great time. I didn't want to ruin the evening since I wasn't sure how he would respond, so I held my tongue for another day. I didn't sleep well since I was so nervous. In the morning, I invited him to go for a walk with me. You've been so kind to me lately. It makes me want to trust you. But I'm scared. I haven't felt emotionally safe with you for a long time. If I opened my heart to you, what would you do with it? I asked. I'd treat it like my own, he answered. What would you do with mine? I'd treat it with respect, I answered. I would cherish it. Tell me what's on your mind, he said. Well, I've been working on myself for a while now, and at the last session with Suzanne, something happened that really bothered me, I began. I told him about the visualization and how I saw a hooded figure, and I realized that I view other people as a threat to my safety. I explained that what I was supposed to be seeing was the Savior, and how hard it was to change the mental image, and that I was surprised that I felt more comfortable with the idea of the hooded figure scenario, because that was more familiar and believable. I feel constantly under threat of attack, and I must always be on guard to protect myself. Oh, he said, that's sad. Where do I fit in? I have been more afraid of you than anyone else, I said with a few tears escaping. I don't want to be afraid of you. I want to be on the same team. He listened. He thanked me for opening up to him. We walked and talked. I felt a wave of peace wash over me. It was healing for both of us. It was beautiful. Perhaps I should have done that a long time ago, but I wasn't healed enough to make the attempt until that day. Chapter 37 New Allies I experienced yet another aftershock of my personal earthquake. It was deeply personally, intimately painful. Nothing has changed. And yet, everything is different because I am changing. Life is still going to be hard, but it's also going to be okay. My relationship with God was healing. My relationship with my husband was healing. I was healing. Because the walls in my relationships were dissipating, I didn't have to deal with this one alone. My husband was right there to offer comfort and support. I prayed and asked the Savior to take my burden. My two biggest foes have transformed into my greatest allies. I understand now that I'm not expected to hold on to my pain and make it a part of me. I also understand that if I don't acknowledge it and choose to let it go, it will become a part of me, whether that is my intention or not. Furthermore, I understand in a new way that it is only through the grace of God that letting go and healing are possible. 
It has only been two months since I began this journey. They have been two incredibly long and difficult months, but the changes have been monumental. I know that I'm not done, and there will still be difficult challenges ahead. This may be a lifelong progression, but it's ever so much better than remaining stagnant. I started on this journey to overcome my crushing blow, but it's also healing my brokenness, and I have hope for a bright future and a new and improved me. In my last mentoring session, Suzanne said, Linda, you are awesome. I can't wait until you see it. I am beginning to believe her. Chapter 38, Leaving Emerald City. In the book, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum, there is a scene that has been left out of the various theatrical interpretations. When Dorothy and her friends come to the Emerald City, they are admitted through a laboriously detailed process which includes, among other things, getting a new set of clothing and having a pair of glasses locked onto their heads that cannot be removed without a key and must be worn at all times within the city. They marvel at the unique beauty of the city where everything is green, including the lovely dress given to Dorothy upon her arrival. They meet with the wizard who sends them on an impossible quest to complete before he will grant them their wishes. The group then must leave Emerald City in order to complete their task and again go through a lengthy process to leave the city. As the last step before exiting the city gates, they have their glasses unlocked and removed. Dorothy marvels that her lovely green dress has suddenly turned white. Surely the Emerald City has wonderfully magical powers. The reader recognizes, of course, that the dress had really been white all along, and the glasses had green lenses, which made everything, regardless of its actual color, appear green. I have been wearing colored glasses my entire life. I have always seen my own interpretation of myself and of the events that have taken place in my life. I haven't seen things as they really are. I think most people see the world through a pair of colored glasses, but we don't even have the advantage of the Emerald City where everybody sees only green because we're all wearing different colored lenses. Two people can go through the exact same event and come away with entirely different interpretations of what happened. It makes communication and getting along with each other extremely challenging. I think that someday after this life, we'll all have the chance to see ourselves and others without wearing our glasses. And I think most of us will be surprised. I'm trying to unlock my glasses and leave Emerald City so I can see myself and the world in a new light. So far, it has been terrifying, enlightening, and freeing, all at the same time. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this section of the book. 
The next section is available on the following podcast. Please subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are available. The book Crushed is available on Amazon, and the audiobook version will soon be available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Again, my name is Linda Bjork. You can find more information by searching for Linda Bjork Hope for Healing, Linda Bjork Two Good Things, and Linda Bjork Innovative Joy. In closing, I'd like to leave you with an inspirational quote by Henry Nguyen. Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. I hope that today you choose joy. See you next time on Linda's Corner.